Hey, it's Andrew, and I wanted to thank you for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast on Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or wherever you get your podcasts to have new episodes delivered to your feed twice a week on Wednesday and Friday? All you have to do is pick up your phone, navigate to your podcast app, and search for Door County or Door County Pulse podcast and click subscribe. If you're a longtime listener or if this is your first episode, we hope you enjoy the Door County Pulse podcast. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast, where each week we talk with the writers and editors of the Peninsula Pulse about the stories you can find in this week's issue. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen, writer and editor of the Peninsula Pulse. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It is festival season in Door County, and we just full on festival season. (laughs) We just had a couple events over the weekend that I want to talk about, and we've got more coming up. So first off, uh, the bike ride and beer fest. How'd they go? It was great. Uh, setting up was not the most fun because it rained basically for two straight days, Thursday and Friday last week going into it. So a lot of walking around soaked, setting everything up. But then best we could hope for with weather, it was a beautiful day Saturday. So we had about 600 bike riders um, and they got to finish in the sunshine and the beer fest was almost all baked bathed in sun. So people tried a lot of really good beer and Contrary to what a lot of people might expect from a beer festival, it's not all that sloppy. Um, yeah, you get a few people who are, you know, pretty hammered at the end, right? But for the most part, people are going around because they're beer connoisseurs and they want to try interesting stuff. And they're not just going through and slamming beverages. They're trying to to expand their beer palate. So it was a really good crowd, good music, and... A lot of good food. Right. And the, the beer fest is getting bigger every year. I mean, most festivals say we're increasing, but when I walked into the beer fest, it was like a little tent city this year. It was huge. Yeah. And and we had to cap it this year because, you know, there's just only so much ground, so many people you can pack into that that space over on Brandfield and only so big you really want to be <laughs> before it just becomes like too unwieldy and stuff. So yeah, it's fun to see that many people hanging out in Bailey's Harbor and just see the town packed and um, just people milling into all the restaurants and bars in town that weekend too. So hopefully, uh, I think it does, but, I, um, just to see the spillover into the local businesses is what, uh, really great. What do we have coming up this weekend? This weekend's another busy one. You got uncorked summer up in, uh, Ellison Bay. That's on the grounds of the Wickman house. Have you been to that? I haven't been to uncorked yet. This will be my first year going and I'm really excited. It's basically like a food festival, right? It's all small plates and uh, it's put on by Wickman House, but they bring in a bunch of really great chefs to make cool food, right? Yeah. So John Nelson of Door Guide Publishing kind of organizes everything with the uh, Door County North Community Association. And then they do it on the grounds of the Wickman House. The so Wickman House does a lot of heavy lifting for it. They get a, they have a great setup of cocktails and, and beers at their bar. And then they have anywhere from like 10 to 20 different food vendors there. They're going to have like a cheese festival there this well's year as well. Like Door Artisan Cheese will be up there. Um, a lot of great restaurants will be up there. And it's it's cool. It's, it's a great way to walk around. You get like, I, I tickets are like $5 per food item. And you walk around and you just, uh, you get to sample small bites from a lot of different places. And then they have live music and, and you get to meet the chefs and uh, the folks from the Wickman house and everything else. So, and that the grounds there, if you've never been to the Wickman house and maybe you haven't 
didn't have the money set aside for a really nice dinner there or something, this is a great way to try a lot of good restaurants for a pretty affordable price and just get a taste of what they're offering. Right. And it's not fair food either. Like it's not going to be deep fried everything. It's no, no. Really it's talented. Really good stuff. Yeah. It's really talented chefs coming in and making really interesting and creative small plates. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. I saw like some of the folks we have like the, at the Door County Beer Festival, the Wickman House, uh, Door County Creamery, Time Cuisine, and those guys are doing, I, I think we're really lucky to have them come and, and do our events um, because they're so busy. You know, they're still operating their restaurants at night. In the case of the Wickman House, they're doing three different restaurants every day and night that are open. And so this weekend, um, Mike and his crew, Mike Holmes and his crew at the Wickman House, you know, they're doing this uncork summer thing during the day and they still have to break down and then open up for their regular um, dinner service after that. And it's got to be a good dinner service. You know, they, that's uh, people go there expecting an incredibly high quality meal. So that it's a, just a, some really long days. I give a lot of credit to all these restaurant owners who who take the extra effort to go and do these events and give people this reason to come to the county and then continue to run the, the places that they're running every day. We also have Wine Fest coming up, right? Yeah, that's down on the southern end of the county. So uh, Sturgeon Bay is hosting the Door County Wine Festival. Um, our group, the Peninsula Pacers, is helping them organize it this year. They've asked us to come in and kind of handle a lot of the logistics so so that the, the wine trail can just focus on serving the wine and um, uh, entertaining all the patrons. So they did it in previous years. They've done it in Egg Harbor. Uh, last year, they did it in Sturgeon Bay at Martin Park. Those grounds proved to be way too small for that festival. And so this year, we've moved it over to Sunset Park. If you haven't been to Sunset Park, it really is a beautiful park, really underrated down in Sturgeon Bay, where you're right next to the shipyards, so you get this really cool view of the gantry cranes, and then they got these like little league ball fields right there. But then it's just this beautiful sprawling park around Little Lake, and then you're right on the the shoreline there, looking at Potawatomi State Park across the bay. So it's a beautiful spot, and we'll have a bunch of tents there. It's going on rain or shine, so there'll be plenty of coverage for people. Well, in the time that I went, I think two years ago, it was it was totally rained out. I mean, people were still out in their ponchos enjoying the the festivities, but it was like. I had my camera gear and I had to camp out underneath the bank, uh, the ATM, the drive-in. Yeah. Just because there was, like, there was no way. It was totally boring. Yeah, total deluge. So this year we've got a lot of really big tents, um, plenty of space for people to hang out underneath them, a big bar tent in the middle. Um, tickets are still available at doorcountytickets.com, and you can also buy them at the gate. So it, it will not be sold out. You can buy them at the gate. Um, there'll be live music. It goes on from... The VIP event goes from 12 to 1, and then the general admission tent is open at 1 o'clock. That goes till, I think, 4 or 4.30. I don't know the exact time off the top of my head, but it's at least 4. And uh, live music will continue till like, 5. So, um, yeah, it should be a really great time down in Sturgeon Bay. There's plenty of parking right on the street there. So uh, there's eight uh, wineries on the Door County Wine Trail that will have all of them, a bunch of different wines pouring for people to sample to get a really good taste of people uh, up here who are, some of them growing their own grapes, some of them get their grapes shipped in, some of them uh, are making fruit wines, some of your more typical classic uh, wine varieties, uh, rosés, there's going to be a little bit of everything down there. Yeah, really great couple of weekends to be up in Door County because not only do you get to try all the great beer, but also all the great food and all the great wine, go on a bike ride. I mean, yeah. you've got everything kind of laid up. For Last weekend, you had Fear Ball Festival with the, the, the fires on the bay. Um, 
And the new streetlights, I will say this, Ephraim's looking pretty cool. I drove through there last night, and the, the new streetlights they picked out and just lit up this weekend, looking great. The The new road is really nice after the last, like, basically since they redid it 20 years ago, it's been potholed up in Ephraim because they immediately had to break it back up to fix some, I think it was some sewer issues. Um, so it's nice to have a smooth ride through Ephraim again. And I will say it is working on getting the, the pedestrian flow out of the streets a little bit. Yeah. I mean, as we were driving out of Fearball last weekend, the, we only had a couple of people who were walking not on the sidewalk that were kind of an issue. But other than that, most people were sticking to the sidewalk and no one was on the streets. Hey, what do you know? You build something for pedestrians, the pedestrians use it. Hint, hint, Door County Board of Supervisors, maybe start following your bike plan. Sorry, I won't get on my pedestal this week. That's another issue. Well, Miles, let's jump into the news. We have a couple of things that I want to talk about this week. Uh, first off, the the mill pond has been a controversial issue ever since we first started talking about it. But it, it may have kind of the controversies kicked into high gear over the last couple of weeks, don't you think? Yeah, it's a classic story of, you know, people are very protective about the property right around their house. And they think it should never change. And you see that with every zoning issue in Door County. You see it all the time. Somebody proposes something like, well, that was a field when I bought my house. It should always be a field. Well, the people around the Forestville Mill, Mill Pond, they bought and built houses around this pond. And it's great for recreation. It's a beautiful spot. I can see them being um, disturbed by the county ha has decided to, to clean up that mill pond by draining it and would draw it down over two years and then clean it all up, and then refill it. Well, these people obviously don't want to lose their pond for two years, so they, people are really up in arms on there. And the county is following the recommendation of the Soil and Water Department and the DNR. And, you know, when you're on a county board of supervisors, you tend to, you could always go against that, but generally your county board guys are not going to be, and, and girls, are not going to be um, experts on soil and water. They're not going to be experts on how to handle a mill pond. You rely on somebody else. And if they tell you this is what you have to do and this is the best way to do it, you know, you're generally going to do that. 16 of 21 board supervisors voted in favor of doing it this way. Now the folks who live around that pond um, are asking for a, they file a petition for a recall election of two of those supervisors who are directly representing the, the properties around that pond, John Ninus and Roy Engelbert. So most likely have a recall election down there. The two supervisors, one of them, they've both been long-term supervisors. John Ninus, he's been there since 98. He said he was retiring after next April's election anyway, or before he wasn't going to run again, basically. So they're recalling him basically eight months before he's going to be done anyway. That that is one of those controversies that's just not going to end. I don't think. Right, and it, it's more I think about making a statement at this point about yeah about you know pushing back and saying not only was this maybe not an idea that was in everybody's best interest, but now we're going to we're going to you know make you reap the consequences of that. Right, and and the folks who filed the petition they pointed out Ninus especially because they're like he didn't even um, have the guts to vote. So he abstained from the vote on the mill pond, and Ninus said, "I own property on the mill pond." It only seemed right that I abstained because I have a vested interest here. So funny, when you're on those county boards, when you don't abstain or recuse yourself from voting, people get on your case. And then when you do, people get on your case. So you're, you're stuck either way. What are the next steps in the process? Well, I think if, uh, you know, the two 
supervisors have a chance to respond. Otherwise, it would go, I think it's within the six weeks of that petition being filed. They have that recall election. So just for those two supervisors. And those supervisors are like, all right, so we're two out of 16 votes. Like there were 16 other people who voted, or 14 other people who voted for, actually 15 other people because nine is abstained. So 15 other supervisors also voted for this, but they're like, yeah, if they kick us off, so be it. Wow. So next up uh, in Sister Bay, so the wedding barn up there, uh, there were some zoning concessions that were made for it, and now that's changing, right? Correct. Uh, that's been a controversy in Sister Bay for a while. Um, the wedding barn project, wedding campus that uh, is under construction right now, I think it's going to be opening in 2020, if I have my numbers correctly. Um, a couple of years ago, that got proposed, and Zeke Jackson was the village administrator at the time. Uh, very pro-development, kind of, I, I think anybody up there would tell you that, um, for better and worse, in some cases, that Zeke was very much somebody who just wanted to get things done and get development happening and was willing to do a lot of things to make that happen and make some concessions to make that happen. At the time, the developers of this wedding complex could have applied for just a regular B&B license, which would have allowed them to do a lot of different things on that property um, without any real oversight from the village board, it would have just been like an over-the-counter permit. What Zeke and the board did instead was kind of have do a text amendment to their zoning for these four specific parcels that were part of this property so that they would have make it a conditional use permit. So that way you have a lot more oversight on like noise controls, parking, lighting, all these things that might affect neighbors. Um, so the village did this in a sense saying, like, this is the better way to do it. Other people looked at it and said, that's spot zoning, that you're doing a specific thing for a specific property and a specific developer, which, uh, depending on the interpretation, would be illegal spot zoning. Um, generally, when you change zoning, you have to do it for, like, a district, not for a specific person like that. The village saying, like, this is just what works for us to have some control on this. We're trying to help you. And also, we're trying to get this development to help bring our tax base up. So then what they did, because they realized, okay, we could get kind of sued for illegal spot zoning here, and there was a threat of a lawsuit at the time. So the attorney recommended that they change all of their R3, their residential three zoning, um, and allow assembly halls, or wedding barns basically is what that falls under, is assembly halls, and allow those throughout that whole district. Well, so they did that, kind of cover their butts a little bit, and then now, a year later, they've gone back and re-examined that and said, okay, do we really want wedding barns? Like, do we want to allow something like that in this whole area? No, we don't. So let's rescind that. So the wedding barn is grandfathered in. It doesn't impact that wedding campus at all. But now they just are a lot doing this so that you can't do any more of them. I talked to a couple of different village board members and village president Dave Lee now, and I said like, all right, so why isn't that this very much looks like... Yeah, why isn't it the same thing? <laughs> this, this very much looks like the village went to great lengths to accommodate this one developer. So tell me why I'm wrong in interpreting that way. They, say, they said, yep, we understand. It looks that way. Really, that's not what we're trying to do. It was just our way to get more control over the development. But they also say, like, yeah, I can't argue with you saying that it looks that way. So I don't think that one's going to satisfy a lot of people. I think people are just, I don't, I don't know that it's going to end up in a lawsuit. I don't know that it would, anything will change, but almost everyone I talked to on the village board said, yeah, it just doesn't look good. Well, for sure. Cause like the, the story breaks down to 
uh, we made concessions for this one developer. And then, uh-oh, well, let's just change the zoning overall so that, you know, it doesn't look like we're making concessions for the one developer. Yes. And then once everything is shooken out, let's change it back. It's the same thing. I mean, it's the... <laughs> all right. It is. Yeah, you're right. And it's... And your response is very much like a lot of people's response in Sister Bay. And one thing that I asked Dave Lee now is, okay, what if one month from now I want to, I come to the village and I say in this R3 area, you know what, I want to do an assembly hall out here. And I want to have a concert venue. And they say, well, no, that's not allowed. I said, well, just do for me what you did for the wedding complex. How do you say no then to the next guy? So that's, if hopefully it never comes up. You know, because I personally wouldn't want to see a ton of sprawl out from the village. I, I really think focus your development in your downtown and get your density in one area and, and leave the outer areas of the county as, as much of that natural state as possible. But, <clears throat> you know, I don't have the magic wand to wave over the county. But if somebody did that, I don't know how they would answer that. And that might be when somebody would file a lawsuit and say, well, you did it for them. Why not me? There's no real answer for that. All of this, all of this confusion and controversy because millennials love getting married in barns. Correct. Yep. <laughs> you summed it up perfect. Um, that article's in this week's Pulse. Uh, you can also read more about the Forestville Mill Pond that we just talked about in this week's Pulse. Jim Lundstrom did a great job breaking that all down. Uh, and then last up before we take our break and we jump into uh, our last little bit of news for the week, uh, I want to get it out real quick. Let's not belabor it. The granary is moving on Our Monday. favorite topic is back. Yep, it's moving on Monday. Uh, not back to its original spot, just back to right next to its original spot. Yes, it is taking tiny baby steps back to its original spot. Although this, this particular baby step is a big leap over a bridge. Um, as of the recording of this right now, they are set to move the granary back to the west side over the Maple to Oregon Street Bridge back next to its original location on Monday beginning at 5 a.m. There is a finance and properties committee meeting today uh, or a building and finance committee. can't remember which combination Surgeon Bay goes with. Um, but there is a meeting this morning that could change that. And there's also four days between now and then. And in Surgeon Bay, that's a lot of time for things to change. But as of right now, the granary is moving back Monday. I'm just excited to see the crowd of people that show up because I think it's going to be half people who are so excited to see the granary come back to its home and then half people who are really excited to see if it blows over on the bridge. <laughs> that is a pretty good summation of, of Surgeon Bay, like about a half and a half group. Um, and depending on the day and which way the wind's blowing, it might be 60-40. Like, I mean, people flip-flop on this a lot. Um, now, since it moved over to the east side, it has gotten a new roof and uh, a number of stabilization upgrades and small repairs. Um, so it should be very stable. But it's funny, the city of Sturgeon Bay has required a lot more of the historical society this time around than they did last time. So it already moved across the bridge safely when it was in a supposedly decrepit, must be raised condition, according to the fire chief. But now that it's gotten a lot of upgrades on the other side, they're saying, we need a lot more verification that it's safe to move this thing across. And it's just like, oh, this is a little crazy. It, it's kind of demoralizing to cover it, honestly, just from right. like a community standpoint. Like, well, I wonder if that's just them putting like undue pressure on it or if it's just like, hey, we maybe shouldn't have moved it over in its state. Let's try not to do that again. Well, I mean, 
a community, a municipality has a lot of, in a way, there's there's not a lot of upside for them in moving a building like this because like, like there's just so much risk in any situation like this. I, we face this when we do events, like all these extra layers of permits and stuff that you need to get um, because 99% of the time you don't need them. Nothing comes into play, but it's that 1% of like something goes wrong. It just, it ruins it for everybody. Right. So same thing with this. I'm sure there's a part of it where the city's like, we just don't want, you know, if this thing falls over the bridge or if this thing collapses or something goes wrong, like, we look so stupid. Um, and some might argue that that shouldn't be a concern for the city at this point <laughs> with, with all that's gone on. But on the other hand, I think it's at least 80% of let's just stick it to them. I, I, I think anyone looking at this would see it mostly that way. I wonder if there's an opportunity to turn this into a tourist draw. Make it old granary days, and every year we'll move the granary across the bridge, and we'll bring people out, we'll have Wakeman House serve food, and we'll get a bunch of breweries up here. Honestly, it's not the worst idea in the world, because there are actually a lot of people who are really into, like, the process of moving buildings, and, you know, there are, there are TV shows made about just moving buildings. There's actually a really cool one about a lighthouse that had to get moved in, like, 300 feet from the shore because the shore was eroding, and, like, the engineering process that went behind it. But um, I think that was on, like, Modern Marvels or something like that. So you might be right. You, that actually could be a very um, solid footing for a festival. All right. With that, let's take a break. And when we come back, uh, I want to talk about the graduation issue. Uh, we, we put some time into creating something special for the alumni of Door County. And uh, it, will it be out as of the, the time that the podcast yep, drops? it's coming out Friday. Awesome. So let's take a break. And then when we come back, we'll get into that. They call themselves the Stradivarius Builders of Sturgeon Bay because the guys at Palmer Johnson were artists in wood and metalwork, anything you imagine. They did it so beautifully well. The first fishermen came down the lake from Mackinac Island or worked their way along the north shore of Lake Michigan. And they came because of the whitefish. The whitefish were abundant. In 1945, 2,000 German prisoners of war came to Door County and picked cherries for just one harvest season. Peninsula Filmworks is dedicated to telling the stories of Door County, past, present, and future. To learn more about the history of shipbuilding in Sturgeon Bay, to see how the cherry became a Door County icon, or to watch the peninsula's last remaining fishermen brave the waters to haul in thousands of pounds of whitefish daily, and the many other incredible stories produced with the Door County Visitor Bureau, visit doorcounty.com slash ourdoorcounty. Okay, we are back. So, Miles, tell me about the graduation issue. Yeah, so we wanted to, and it really came out of Dave Elliott, our, our founder. We, we always want to do more for education. And one of the things that he's been working on over the last couple of years, and I've been very mildly a part of, is the Door County Alumni Association. And it's this idea that Dave and Polly Alberts have really championed this, of creating an association that would be a conduit to all these Door County alumni, both the ones that stay in the county, but these people that go all over the world and do amazing things. Um, Whether they be college grads and they go to Berkeley or MIT or Harvard, or they be people who become inventors or go to tech school, um, just do really interesting careers, whatever it might be. Um, And just show, part of this idea is let's show the kids that are currently in our schools, what's possible? All the different paths you could take. Here's what it is to become a mechanic and what that life is and, and 
what your role in the community is. Here's what it is to own your own business. Here's what, here's somebody who became a chef and started by washing dishes in an Egg Harbor restaurant and now works for maybe a great restaurant in Chicago or Dallas or Atlanta. Um, or maybe even came back here and started or, their own restaurant. Too. Or came back here and owns their own. You know, like, what is that life like? We, we feel like there's a, a really big need to, to tell those stories, to show people the wide breadth of opportunity and possibility. Um, because we do have, like, some incredible alumni in so many different um, uh, avenues that they've gone. So that was a big part of it. Part of it is now we connect those alumni to Door County and, and be like, all right, you might be wanting to come back here and share your story and do presentations. This summer, Kim Kelleher, a 1989 graduate of Gibraltar High School, is going to come back and address the Women's Fund of Door County. Kim went on to become the first female publisher of Sports Illustrated, publisher of Time, Self, like works for Condé Nast. It's an incredible resource. Um, I interviewed her for the summer issue of Door County Living Magazine. And yet, when I was going to high school, at Gibraltar High School, journalism major, I never knew this. So we're missing some of those connections here. Like, how do we not know that there is a Gibraltar graduate at the highest echelons of publishing? And yet, the school where she graduated doesn't have any of that information available to their own students to show them, hey, here's a connection you might actually have in the real world. And the same thing goes at Southern Door, Sebastopol, all these different places. Um, there's our opportunities to create uh, mentorships for people. Um, so I think there's a lot of possibility if you just create an avenue to connect the dots. And then there's also a fundraising component. So when these schools need um, special funds, like Sevastopol connected with Thermotronics for a $2 million donation to create a better science lab. Well, there might be a lot more opportunities to do that if we're just connecting these people. So the Door County Alumni Association is just starting and hopes to do just that. They are raising funds. So if you are interested in giving to that, let us know. But um, one of the things we're trying to do is help just put that kind of those same sorts of stories in the pages of The Pulse. So this week, we created a 20-page um, graduation issue that just celebrates all the students at the five Door County high schools. And from each school, we have a, a photo of each graduate. We have a class photo. In the case of Washington Island, that's a class photo of three. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. That, that's, it, it's like I graduated out of a high school that had, I think, a graduating class of maybe 200. But like to think that on Washington Island, they have a whole school system of like 73 students yeah. is wild. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And, you know, if you graduate in class of three, you've got pretty good odds of becoming salutatorian or valedictorian. I mean, shot in the dark there. Right. But imagine um, if you don't. Imagine if you're that one who is like, oh, man. Damn, just missed. I was, I was third in my class, but I was last in my class. Right. Um, so we have all that, but we also tried to profile a, um, an alumni, uh, alumnus of each school. So we have Mary Hansen, who works at Island Orchard Cider. Um, who went to who graduated from Washington Island School has some great perspective on going to this small school but still getting like these big world opportunities. Erin um, Leclaire, who went to Sevastopol, who's now our director of emergency services in the county, who you know he talks about a lot of the different education that he got. He wasn't like your your perfect student who just went to college and graduated and had this easy path. He didn't know what he wanted. He wanted to be in the Marines, couldn't do the Marines. He liked being on a fire truck 
and kind of went down that path and got a lot of different training at tech schools and things like that and special classes. And now he's the director of emergency services and has a huge role in our community and in the community he grew up in, makes a big impact. Um, guys like that. We have a, an inventor um, from Surgeon Bay High School. Um, we have a young student who's a scientist who just graduated from Southern Door High School a couple of years ago. Uh, so you get this like wide um, span. Oh, we have uh, Bud Calms, the Liberty Grove town administrator who graduated from Gibraltar decades ago. Sorry, Bud. Um, but who's now, you know, he graduates from Gibraltar and has had a really important role in his hometown community for most of his life and, and has seen all those changes. So all those different avenues, we just tried to give a snapshot of that. But over time, hopefully we create a, um, a, a greater depth of all these stories and what's possible. Oh, and let's not forget Elon Musk, a Gibraltar graduate who shot a car into space. Yeah, that's not true. No, that's not. <laughs> uh, but however, his business partner actually has a, um, some egg harbor ties. Oh, yeah. wow. Are there any are there any names like actors or anything that have graduated out of Gibraltar that have gone on to do Broadway or film or anything like that? I'm asking for for uh, because of my background. That's what I'm interested in. I am 100 percent certain there are. I just don't know who they are. You got to read that issue. Got to read the graduation issue. <laughs> but it's also cool to see like where all these kids are going. So we we asked all the schools and most of them provided it of what these kids post high school plans are. And you know what? Most of those are going to change, right? You know, when, when I graduated high school, I thought I knew exactly what I was going to do. And so did a lot of my fellow students. So if you ask me, it wouldn't have said that I'd be on a podcast with a theater guy in Bailey's Harbor 20 years later. And I'm very glad I am. Well, I mean, even I, I went to, to college. I was going to get my teaching degree and I was going to teach theater to high school students. And then like my first week of college, I sat down with a counselor who was like, oh, if you want to teach theater, just get a theater degree. And then you can just teach college. And I was like, all right, I'll get a theater degree. And then I came here and now I shoot videos and I talk to you in the podcast studio. So, well, and you know what, what's interesting about looking at their post high school plans is just getting a glimpse of, and hopefully over 10, 20 years of doing this, you'll start to go like, oh, here's kind of the, the median number of kids who go into the armed forces. Maybe we do need to do more or less on that. We've, we looked at this and there are roughly half the students at one high school graduating class who are going to NWTC. That's that blew me away. I think that's great because a lot more kids are thinking about the the cost of education and the the outcomes. So maybe that means that that schools are doing a better job of counseling kids because I think for a long time they've counseled too many. Just it's all about four year universities. It's a huge expense for a kid who maybe doesn't know what they want to do. And well, and it's not for everybody too. That's it's not thing. for everybody, and you know statistically, the average person with an associate's or two year technical degree makes more on average than the um, median person who goes to a four-year university. Right. Because well, you get a very specific skill that's that's actionable. Maybe this is an outrageous claim, but this is probably the worst time ever to go to a four-year, like a private school. Yeah. Because it just, it costs so much. It's so hard to dig out of that hole. Right. And especially if you're not going for something that has a really clear career path, um, I, I would be surprised if the amount of like art degrees from private universities has like just plummeted over the last 10 years because coming from somebody who has a degree in theater, it does not make a lot of sense to go to a private school to get a degree in theater and then walk away with an $80,000 student loan. Right. I mean, and I think there's a ton of people who after the fact would tell you the same thing. I and mean, there's still some value there, some, there's great value in going to college. Like 
Um, I didn't get a degree from Madison, but I'm still so glad that I, I went there and got the experiences and the friends and that, that, oh, yeah, for that sure. opportunity. Yeah, and my, so there's value. I don't know that I'd say that it's a $60,000 value. Right. My, my college experience was not, it did not culminate in my degree. You know what I mean? Like I, I did not, when I think back about college, it's not about my graduation that mattered. It's about all of the people that I met and the things that I learned. Right. Uh, and not just academic things either. Think like becoming the person that I am today yeah. happened over college. Uh, but then when you're like, hey, uh, how about a life changing event over four years? Is that worth $80,000? Is it worth $60,000? That's when you have to start thinking like, oh, maybe I could just, like if I want to do theater, maybe I should just start auditioning for stuff instead. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. that's, that's a great point. Um, and you look at another part of that value between like a tech school and going to a four-year university. If you go to a two-year tech program, let's say you want to go into construction, you have that two years that on on the surface is so much cheaper than the person paying thirty to sixty thousand dollars for the the four year degree each year. But then once your two years are up, you're not spending more money on education. You're earning money, most likely. You probably got a job in your field because usually a tech school connects you directly to a job in your field. Um, so for those last two years, while that that other student is still spending that thirty to sixty thousand dollars a year each year. And making none of that back, you're actually making your salary. Even if it's thirty thousand dollars, your the plus minus is huge. Now people look at the four year degree because that does get you access to that top end job in most cases. But most people have their eye on that, and they're like, "That's what they judge it by." Because we all think we're going to be that guy who gets a, the the top job, that million dollar job, or at least that six figure job. The reality is. Most of us don't come anywhere close to that. <laughs> so. Well, and most of the people who end up there don't get there from hard work and determination and a degree. I mean, there, there's something to be said about connections as well. And and what I think is the most interesting part about the graduation issue is that it, it's kind of a, the, or the alumni organization is kind of a multifaceted approach to connecting academics. Because when you graduate from a Door County high school, you have a couple of options available to you and they're all kind of... I don't know. They're, 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 they're different than a lot of other people have, because if you want to go to like a four-year university, it means leaving Door County. You know what I mean? Yep. You're, you're leaving to go do something. And then the degree that you're getting there probably isn't going to bring you back here. You know what I mean? And if your plans are to stay in Door County and to maybe take over a business or become an entrepreneur or rise in the restaurant industry, you don't really have to go to school for that. N not necessarily. You know not what I mean? Or you could target your schooling in a certain way. Like, I do know some people, but it's not most, who leave high school here and they know they want to come back and take over the family business or start their own business here. And some of them will go and take classes or get an associate's degree or do something very specific to that. You see it a lot on farms. Actually, Holly LaPlante, who I wrote about uh, two weeks ago, she went and took the farm short course at UW-Madison. And a lot of farmers will go and do that. 16-week uh, course to learn a lot about agriculture so you can come back and put it into practice on the farm, um, which is a really great program. But like most kids, they go out and they get whatever degree they want and then they come back and it's like, all right, I still just have to learn the, now I'm just five years behind in learning the, the ins and outs of actually running a business. Right. Well, and then the other part of it too, I mean, you've got now students who are looking at other Door County alumni and seeing what they've done when they've left the county. On the other side of the coin, you have Door County alums who now are connected and able to come back into the county because I can pretty much guarantee that people who 
leave Door County still love Door County. You know what I mean? For the most part. I have five brothers and sisters. I'm the only one of the six that I, in my family that lives in Door County. One's in Sacramento, one's in LA, one's in Chicago, one's in Belgium, and one's in Chicago. So, or one's in Baltimore. Sorry, I think I already mentioned Chicago. Um, but they all love coming home. They're all really proud of where they're from. They all daydream about being able to live here. Problem is, just like you said, they went out and got degrees, really good degrees from really good schools. And there's no way to put that value to use and and be able to pay off their student loans back in Door County. Unless you got like, there are some jobs, but they're, when people get those jobs here, they don't let them go. Right. So they're, they're few and far between. So, that, and then... If they wanted to move back, their spouse would also have to get that job. Right. So finding two of those dream jobs, really difficult. Well, and I think that this is a great avenue to to allow alumni from Door County to, to have uh, at least one pathway to come back and spread the love. Yeah. Or to come back and, and share what they've learned. Or maybe one day take their multi-million dollar business idea and open a location here. <laughs> and then provide some of those great jobs. Like, I mean, there are examples of that. That sounds absurd, but like... A lot of the businesses that are down in the manufacturing cluster, down in the, the industrial park in Sturgeon Bay, they don't need to be there. They've chosen to be there. Um, Thermotronics is a perfect example, I, if I have this right. They came up here on vacation. They had a business, I think, somewhere else in Wisconsin. And they just loved being up here on vacation and spending time in the Sturgeon Bay area. And they said, let's just move our business here and live where we want to be. And... The reason it's not necessarily always doesn't always make sense to be there is because transportationally, for a lot of these industrial type businesses, it makes sense to be just from the cost of goods and transporting them, makes sense to be not be on a peninsula. You you want to be on those train corridors, you want to be on those transportation corridors. They're not. They've chosen to be here. So as absurd as it sounds, like that's generally how we get our big businesses here. Um, so, you know, you get one or two more of those. And maybe they're in a different sector. Maybe they're in technology. Maybe they locate in Sister Bay or Egg Harbor for some uh, task engineering. Doesn't make sense to be in Egg Harbor. That's just where they built it. And it's great. It's been a, a place where my brother interned there in high school and right down the road from our house. Really lucky. He might not be where he is today had that not existed right there. So imagine if we had a couple more small places like that could do some amazing things. Um, Anything else on the uh, graduation issue or the alumni group before we wrap up? Just the only other thing that struck me with the just the number of kids going to NWTC and one way that this issue and over the course of years might actually change some things in the community that is really interesting to me is if you look through that and you see how many kids are going to NWTC, to me what it sparked is saying, wow, maybe, maybe we need to put even more into the Northeastern Wisconsin Technical Colleges. What else can we offer through those? If that is where so many of our young people are going, if that is the resource for so many of them, we talk a lot about four-year universities in our schools. I don't know that we talk so much about tech schools. And maybe there are a lot more options. Maybe it would do behoove us to create like a small-scale engineering program at a tech school or more technology programs. And they're doing, I don't mean to like take away from what NWTC is doing now, but it really excites me for like how much more we could look at that school as being. If, well, if we invest in it. And NWTC has a campus up in Sister Bay, right? Yep. So they have a small I mean, campus there, a larger one in um, Sturgeon Bay, and then a, a much bigger one in Green Bay. And you think about this, like all of our families, think of how much we're investing in universities 
that have nothing to do with Door County. I wonder if you added it up and you said, even if they all went to state schools and it was twenty five or $30,000 a year um, in a given year, if there's one, I don't know, over like the four year span, at this moment, there might be something like 500 Door County kids and families that are paying twenty dollars to $60,000 a year to four-year universities. That's all outside of Door County versus you take even a small chunk of that and say like, oh, we're going to, we're going to endow a great engineering professor at NWTC. Like there's actually some people who have thought about Malcolm Gladwell has a great podcast on this where of a guy who gave a hundred million dollars to a tiny school just to create an engineering program because he said, Harvard doesn't need my hundred million. Like it doesn't make a difference there. Neither does Yale, neither does Princeton, but this tiny little community college can really do something with this money. So and we need to think that way. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to checking out the graduation issue on Friday after the podcast drops. Uh, I think that that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you so much, Miles, for chatting with me. And Thank you, Andrew. To Great discussion. I just talked right over you. You sure did. All right. Bye, Miles. <laughs> bye, Andrew. These stories and more will be available in this week's issue of the Peninsula Pulse, available throughout Door County. For more headlines, visit DoorCountyPulse.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Door County Pulse podcast for your weekly Pulse picks, interviews, and exclusive content from the Peninsula Pulse. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.